9-11 happened, my father was killed, and we'd be dealing with that death and that loss. What we didn't realize is that it would keep affecting us in other ways. And my sister ended up marrying a first responder who was there on 9-11, and he has a plethora of 9-11 illnesses. My husband, whom I met after 9-11, his father died of 9-11 cancer a mm. year after we were married. Of course, my father was, for me personally, was the biggest loss, but... I, we never knew it was going to keep hurting us over and over again. You can't really get over something when you're reminded of it constantly. It was like an unexpected grief that we didn't expect to happen. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast originates from and connects the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. We have a very intense show today. It is a remembrance of 9-11 and something we should always take consideration of whenever this particular date comes around, folks. We are coming up on the 20th remembrance of September 11th, back from 2001 when the World Trade Center towers came down due to a terrorist attack. And many times we will talk about and hear about on the news the specifics about the attack, who was involved, how did they get there, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that seems to be left out that I have found, I have not heard a lot about, and we're beginning to hear more about that, is the impact on individual people's lives. Those personal kinds of identification and personal stories prompted me this week after reading an article in CNN and also reading an article in the Washington Post by the same author, the same writer, Kimberly Rex. It precipitated me to contact her, to interview her about her father, who was in the World Trade Center when they went down. Let's listen to that particular interview right now, and I'm going to also intersperse it with the articles that she wrote. They're not very long, but it gives you a context for the things that she's saying. Let's listen now to the interview with writer Kimberly Rex. The 9-11 Remembrance is going to have a 20th remembrance, and we have Kimberly Rex on the phone. Kimberly is a freelance writer. She lives in New York City with her husband and two daughters. You might have read her articles in the New York Times or Wired, The Independent, The Huffington Post, CNN, or The Washington Post. Her father was in one of the buildings on 9-11 when that entire catastrophe happened. Kimberly, welcome to St. Louis In Tune. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, give us a little bit of your background. I, I talked about how you uh, were a writer. Talk, tell us uh, your story of how you got there. Okay, so um, straight out of college, I taught high school English. So I did that for about eight years. And then once my first daughter was born, I stayed home, and I actually started out by writing a blog about her and adopting her and that experience, and I also have heart disease, so I was, the blog was also about being a mother with heart disease, and 
that whole story. And then slowly I took a few writing classes and then I started to learn about pitching and publishing and things like that. And now I'm a freelance writer. I'm still trying to figure some of it out, but sometimes I get it right. So I, I think you got these two articles really right that, that you wrote. And folks, what I'm referring to is an article that was written for CNN entitled, When People Say Never Forget 9-11, This Is What I Hear. And then an article that she wrote for the Washington Post, which says, My father was killed on 9-11. I still struggle to understand how he just disappeared. And how did that grief and loss play out in your family? You mentioned in the pieces, it's one thing to lose a family member to a disease or old age, but the sudden loss that happened like on 9-11 is is so much more different. Yes, I would say that it's still playing out. It's a loss and, and just a level of grief that never dissipates. It's, of course, you learn to live with it because there's no other option. But it's 20 years and the pain and the grief, just it hasn't changed much at all, really. I have three sisters and my mom. And I think, of course, it's been the hardest for my mother. And she is in no way over the loss of my father. You would think he died maybe a few years ago mm-hmm. based on how she talks about it and feels about it. It's just... It's not something she can ever really move on from. And it just changes you. We all went through it in our own ways, but we went to group therapy as a family for a while, and a lot of us went to individual therapy, and some of us still do. And some of us ended up with depression and anxiety, and who's to say whether or not those things would have happened either way. Mm -hmm. But I know for me personally... I think there was a perfect storm where my father died and a few months later I had a health scare and it just created the perfect environment for mental illness. And that's obviously mental illness is something that's something that never goes away. You're dealing with it for the rest of your life. We're all I'm still dealing with it and stuff. And then the other thing is that it's not just that we lost my father when we lost him and even while we were thinking this is never going to be okay again and we're never going to get over this loss and life will never be the same, never be happy and all those thoughts, we still thought it was going to be this one thing that 9-11 made happen that would affect us. This one 9-11 happened, my father was killed and we'd be dealing with that death and that loss. What we didn't realize is that it would keep affecting us in other ways. And my sister ended up marrying a first responder who was there on 9-11 and he has a plethora of 9-11 illnesses he's Mm -hmm. a very sick man and she has young children and she deals with that every day trying to take care of their kids and in that situation and then my husband who my husband whom I met after 9-11 his father died of 9-11 cancer a Mm -hmm. year after we were married and you so of course my father was for me personally was the biggest loss but We never knew it was going to keep hurting us over and over again. You can't really get over something when you're reminded of it constantly, especially for my sister, who the days that one day is just affecting every single day of her life moving on. So that's another way that really it was like an unexpected grief that we didn't expect 
to happen. Having something like that come back and, my word, slap you in the face every once in a Mm -hmm. while is really difficult because how does that impact what you do as a writer and as a mom and as a wife? How does that impact you? I think as a writer, I write about it. Mm -hmm. And... It's not that that I don't know that necessarily is therapeutic for me. Sometimes it is. I think it depends on what piece I'm writing. But I will say with the two pieces that we're you talked about, the CNN and the Washington Post, those are both the kind of pieces where you just an idea was in my head and it just pours out of me that first draft. And it's almost more like a stream of consciousness where I'm just writing it to get it out of my head. And then eventually I hone it and edit it and get help editing it and before publishing. But so I guess those two pieces actually were therapeutic, those two. And I think it, it makes me feel good because I feel like I'm honoring my father and I'm, right. especially if I'm getting published and other people are reading about him. And since those two pieces went up, I've gotten a lot of messages on Facebook and emails and people just promising that they never will forget and that they always remember and how they commemorate that day and how they tell their children about it and just really reassuring things. Mm-hmm. People, I've had a few people contact me who were, who knew my father, who I don't know. One of them was his elementary school classmate who was telling me stories about how he would cheat on my father's tests in school, things <laughs> like that were just really fun to hear because I, I don't know those things about my father. Right. So that's not writing. And then as a mom, it's hard in general because when my father died and then my father-in-law died, all this tragedy happening, I, I became a really negative person with a really negative outlook on life and why are we even trying and why do we want to be happy when God knows what's going to happen to rip that happiness away from you and I can't say that I don't feel that way anymore but I'll say that I it's a struggle where I want to I don't want to teach my children to think that way of course and I want to give them a positive outlook on life and I want them to believe that this is all worth it no matter what happens in the end. So I have to find that balance and make sure I'm not letting that those thoughts that I have impact them. And then as a wife, my husband is really, he's really super, super supportive. He's my rock. If I am feeling depressed or I'm, you know, dealing with grief one day or I'm having anxiety, he's really there for me. I can open up to him about it and share how I feel. And he can do the same with me. So he, I feel that he's probably the one person where I don't really have to. There's no effort involved. I just can be real about it. And it's OK. Let's listen to a special piece written to The Washington Post by Kimberly Rex. It's entitled, My Father Was Killed on 9-11. I Still Struggle to Understand How He Just Disappeared. My father was killed on 9-11. I still struggle to understand how he just disappeared. Losing someone on 9-11 was like watching them disappear. They were there, and then they weren't. On September 10, 2001, I ate dinner beside my father in our Staten Island home. I was 19 and sat at his left, as usual. I watched him shake spoonfuls of grated cheese onto his soup. He was right next to me, flesh and bones, salt and pepper hair and a sharp nose. The next day, the plane hit. Fire raged and smoke billowed. Then the floor where he stood, the walls, the ceilings and the windows crumbled away into dust, and the people inside disappeared. At home, we thought at first that they were only missing, 
we made posters with names, faces, and phone numbers. Such flyers covered windows and storefronts, wrapped around bus stops and bodegas. They flapped in the wind of empty streets, begging anyone to find those lost and bring them home. We sat around tables and made phone calls. We lit candles and prayed in circles on front lawns. Cars stopped, and strangers climbed out to join our vigil. If we prayed hard enough, it seemed, maybe he'd feel it and come back to us. One by one, we knew he wouldn't. My mother, my three sisters, his parents and friends each knew in time that he was dead. But knowing that didn't change the feeling that he was missing. Later, we were given back pieces of him. We knew we were lucky to be able to bury a part of him, but he was still lost. My father's absence hung over our family. On my birthday two months later, there was a painful blank space underneath where my mother had written love you, mommy on my card. Even his name was gone. The following June, my grandfather fell ill. He cried on his deathbed for his son who died in an inferno. At his funeral, my grandmother dropped a thorny rose onto his grave and said, find my Vincent and tell him I love him. On the first anniversary of 9-11, we loved ones piled into buses and rode to ground zero. The wind that day was brutal, 35 miles per hour at one point, pushing our bodies and pulling our clothes and hair as we walked down the ramp into the pit. On that hallowed ground, a weight settled inside my chest. In that space, in the whipping air, something else was there. The missing. We felt them in our steps, our bones, the wind. For the few minutes that my mother, sisters and I bunched ourselves into a hug and sobbed, it felt as though we had found my father, finally. But once we climbed back up to the city sidewalk, he was gone again. In all the years since, I've never found him again. He's on my mind, of course, during the special moments but also the mundane. I tell stories about him, like the time I woke him up while attempting to hang a bulletin board in my teenage bedroom. I was bending every nail I tried to hammer. He walked in, hair askew, took the hammer from my hand, drove the nail into the wall with two wax and left without a word. Sometimes, memories like this make me smile. Other times, I want to cry for all that he has missed, for all that I have missed without him. Sometimes I hear myself sound like other people whose dads have passed away. But then I hurt again, because my father didn't just die. He vanished. And it's not the same when death is unseen and uncertain, when loved ones are robbed of the chance to prepare and accept, when his sneakers still sit in the front closet where he'd slipped them off and the smell of his aftershave still lingers in the bathroom. Twenty long years have passed since that painful day. So much of my life has happened. I graduated college, taught high school English for eight years, met and married my husband. I've been gravely sick and recovered. I adopted two babies and watched them grow into lovely little girls. So many things to feel happy about. But I've never stopped struggling to understand how my father's strong, stocky body just went away. Disintegrated. The need to find him has never left, nor the sadness of knowing I never will. Yeah, what, what are you going to tell your, your children about your dad? Or, or what have you told your children about your dad? So they know some, mostly what they know now is just little stories, anecdotes of funny things when 
I wanted to be a singer, but I have no singing talent. And my dad told me they were dead dogs on the lawn outside because I was singing loudly. What? <laughs> Things like that. Just a little, <laughs> little funny story. And I'd like to tell them how smart he is and how smart he was. I find a hard, like, I can tell stories about my father, but I actually have a pretty hard time describing him. And I think that has to do with the grief. Mm-hmm. So. Is the I'm grief getting hungry. in the way of, of, of that? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it gets in the way of a lot of my, my even my memories of him. I almost feel sometimes I can try to think, I can think of a moment if I want to remember what the dog thing or another funny moment that happened with him or a serious moment. I can pull up those memories without a problem, but to just try to remember him, just the essence of who he was and picture him and feel who he was. I have a really hard time doing that. Mm. And I do think that's the grief that I just, I almost feel my mind turn it off and I'll try and it just like my brain won't stay on the thought. It's very strange to me, but I'm guessing it's actually probably pretty normal and everyone grieves differently. And I think there are other people who are the opposite and it's all they can think about. And for me, I, I have a harder time with that. I'm better that, at avoiding, and it's easier for me to focus on the little moments than it is to focus on the big picture. Which I'm, I'm very appreciative of you talking to me at this time, because I'm going to read something from your article in CNN here, which was uh, Never Forget. As if each year when the calendar slowly moves towards September, the little things, like the slight chill of a fall breeze or the scent of the leaves at my feet, don't settle in my stomach hard knotted, as if my body doesn't remember. Muscle memory of grief. And we've talked a little bit about grief and those events and how they have shaped you and have worked in your family. As you wrote these articles, was this, at this time, was it because of the 20th Remembrance? Was it because you just had this, uh, you had to get this out at this time? Or why these two articles at this time? Just just curious about that. So it's actually interesting. Um, As the, the CNN piece about Never Forget, that was literally, I just randomly, the thought popped in my head one day just this as if I could ever forget. And I don't want to give the impression that I don't stand behind the never forget mantra because I do very much. I think it's a very important thing, obviously. And when you read the story through that by the end, you get that. Yes. But, but for me, I just had this thought in my head. Of course I can't even begin to forget. And I just sat down and wrote it and it just flowed out. But I wrote it a while. I, I want to say I for my first draft, I probably wrote at least six months ago. And then I knew, of course, that the, the good time to publish it, where the most publishers honestly would want to publish it and people would want to read it, is going to be near the 20th anniversary. So I held on to it for that. And I rewrote it after that and reworked it o- along the way. And the other piece with the in the Washington Post... The idea that my father just disappeared, that's just an idea that's always haunted me, which again, you get when you read it, that it's just, I always think about that, that it just seems so impossible 
that a person just disappeared into the dust. And it just was something that always was in my head. And I actually wrote it. I was, I, I want to say I wrote it while I was taking a class, but I'm not entirely positive. But I wrote it in 2020. I didn't write it for the anniversary. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote it and I actually had a connection originally in the piece to COVID. And I was imagining the idea that what is it like for these people in the beginning of the pandemic when people were dying in a hospital and you couldn't visit them and you couldn't talk to them and you couldn't hear their voice because they were on a ventilator or unconscious, whatever it was. And they just, they died out of sight. And I I was just ruminating of, do they feel this way? Do they, obviously it's not the same in the sense that it's not as if a body disappeared, but do they feel this lack of closure and this idea that they can't possibly be dead because I didn't see them die. Right. I didn't, that kind of thing. And then that didn't go anywhere. I just didn't have any success with it. And then this year I just removed the COVID part of it. And I felt, I talked to some other writers and one person said, it's not really, you don't, you haven't lost someone to COVID. So maybe it's really not the topic you should be writing about. Just focus on your part of it. And that's how I rewrote it. And then it was just in time. So that's how they happened. Let's listen to the opinion piece by Kimberly Rex that appeared in CNN. When people say, never forget 9-11, this is what I hear. That plea, that demand, never forget, it's not meant for us. Because we can't forget. We are haunted by what we remember 20 years later and likely 20 years from now. As if I don't remember the moment I finally knew that my father was never coming home. Or I don't remember the sound of my sister's cries down the hall when that moment came for her. Or the day we told my grandparents that there was no one left to be rescued. That their son was somewhere in that pile of rubble and yet he wasn't there at all. The terrible sound of my grandfather's voice as he sobbed, my baby. My baby about his 52-year-old son. The wordless wails my grandmother made as she lay on my sister's shoulder. As if each year, when the calendar slowly moves towards September, the little things, like the slight chill of a fall breeze or the scent of the leaves at my feet, don't settle in my stomach, hard and knotted. As if my body doesn't remember, muscle memory of grief. As if I can't still hear the radio DJ, yelling in horror when the second plane hit. As if I don't remember swerving my car off the busy street, climbing out on shaky ground wanting only to bend over and purge, to get the feeling out of me and rid myself of what it would do. As if I don't remember the way the house was flooded with people. How some swept through the door with a purpose and others dragged their feet, reality already setting into their eyes and sagging mouths. As if I could forget how small my mother looked in their bed that night, drugged into sleep after hours of agony, curled up like a tiny fetus, lost in the vast bed he'd slept in just the night before. How easy the tears fell, how I'd never cried so seamlessly before, without pause and without words, only the salty water sliding down my cheeks, while I prayed it was all for naught, that he'd be home before my next lament. As if a year later, I didn't feel my father in my bones as I stepped onto ground zero. As if it didn't feel as though every soul that died there, that every bit of pain and horror they faced and every word they wanted to say before they died, was in the wind itself, thrashing and whirling, wrapping itself around us and inside us. As if I could ever forget the way it felt to feel them inside me. As though it's easy to forget that you're strong. 
Stocky father was whittled down to only pieces, that when we buried him, only my mother knew how much of him was inside the coffin. As if we'd forget that this actually makes us lucky, that others have only empty plots filled with knickknacks, mementos instead of remains. As if the hole left behind in our lives isn't more like a chasm, a canyon so big that no future, no antidepressants, no therapy could ever fill. As if everything hasn't been different since. As if our family didn't rearrange itself, twisting and shifting, trying to make up for what was missing. As if every happiness since hasn't been a little less happy and every obstacle harder to climb. And as if with every problem that occurs, I don't wonder what he would do, and even though it's fantastical and futile, wonder if the problem would even be if he were here. As if disagreements aren't harder without his mediation and decisions aren't more confusing without his insight. As if that day hasn't hit my loved ones over and over again in ways we never imagined. Like I don't watch my sister struggle while my brother-in-law suffers, damaged by the poison that entered his lungs and seeped into his skin while he worked to find remains of people like my dad. As if we could forget. As if we could let go. It doesn't matter how many years pass. 20 years have not erased that day for us. No amount of time could. Not for those of us who lost someone that day. And not for those who fled the buildings, crowded into stairwells of confusion and fear. Not for the first responders who ran to help, who watched their brothers and sisters disappear into buildings just before they turned to dust. Not for those who kept going, day after day, searching for any part of anyone. But you, you must never forget. You should remember everything this day was and everything it still is. Tell each other. Tell your children. Remember those that died such horrible deaths. Remember those who tried to save them. Think of them always and never ever forget. Both of them together are just unbelievable. I, your phrase in the, when people say never forget, this is what I hear, your continued phrase, as if I could, as if I don't remember, and how could I not do that based upon what, is, what has happened. And the emotion that you really, I, I get out of the article, that when you went on the first anniversary back to ground zero and how the wind seemed to bring up the, my words, the souls of the individuals who were there. What was that moment like? Because you really, it, it's an eerie moment from yeah. when you talk about the wind and, and everything like that and, and had the temperature and everything. What was that moment like personally for you? It's a con I'd say there was a combination because on the one hand, it was a devastating moment. And to, to feel that was obviously so sad and devastating. On the other hand, it was incredible and amazing because I literally remember walking down. There, there used to be that long ramp right. when it was still the pit, they called it. Mm -hmm. And on the as we walked down the pit, it was just... You weren't expecting it. It was just, it, 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 it was as if it was happening to us. And as I'm walking down the pit, I just, the feeling is just growing. And the second our feet hit the ground, you just felt something inside you. It was the most uh, incredible or, it, I can't even think of the word to describe it, but I'd never before felt something so intangible but so unbelievably real and 
unbelievable, but real, if that makes sense. Yeah. It just, it was just this concrete pit and it, but it wasn't, it was just, I've never felt anything like that before since it was just, it was like they were there just inside you. And I feel that there's a difference between if I had walked in the pit and immediately felt horribly sad and I started crying because I'm in this place where I know my father died. It, of course that was there too, but that wasn't what, it wasn't the only thing you felt. You literally felt something enter you. It was amazing. Awful and amazing. Was that something that your siblings and your mom experienced also? Yeah. Everybody says that. Wow. And when I even, yeah. And when I've, I, I can't remember someone I know, I can't remember who it was said that they know, know a family member and they said the same thing. And the wind was out of control. So it was 35 miles per hour when normally it's under 10, I believe. And it was, it was like, it was almost like you felt like you got caught in a whirlwind of it and your hair, our hair was whipping and we were being moved around by the wind. It was just incredible. I know I keep using that word, but that's, the best word I can best description. describe it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that's when you were at that time, were you a, were you going to school and college at that time? Yes. I was still in college. I was a sophomore or a junior. I, mean, I can't remember if I was a sophomore or a junior. I think I was a sophomore, honestly. Yes, I was a sophomore. And I took a, after 9-11, I took a semester off. I, I didn't finish that full semester. Mm-hmm. And then I went back that spring. So I had just gotten back into school because, oh, no, I'm sorry. First down, I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. So I was a junior for the first anniversary. I was a sophomore on 9-11, 2001. And then the next year for the anniversary, I was a junior. So what made you want to become a writer? Actually, it's funny that we're talking about college, and I was just thinking about this the other day, that I I always liked to write as a kid. I used to write poems all the time. I have notebooks in my basement, and I used to always say I would write a book and start it and never complete it. But I like to, <laughs> I was, I like to be creative. I like to write. I like to paint. I like to draw. But So it was always something I did enjoy. And I do remember a couple of times in high school, if we had a certain kind of assignment that was creative, I would really enjoy it, but I never thought about, I don't know, really doing it or trying to make a career of it or anything like that. And then I went to college and my first semester as a freshman, I took a class. I don't even remember what the subject of the class was, but we had to write a paper and I wrote it, but I kind of started it out with a creative passage. And my professor said, you're really a great writer. You should think about majoring in English. And I thought about it, and I did. I majored in English, and then I became an English teacher. But even then, I wasn't writing much. I took like a creative writing course when I was in graduate school. And then it just happened. Then I started the blog, and I just felt like I had stuff I could talk about, and I thought I was pretty good at it. So I said, let me try and see. And the blog never really went anywhere. My only readers were my um friends and family. <laughs> but then once I took a few classes to learn how to actually be published, then like I said, I, I still have a lot to learn. I would still consider myself an up and comer. I'm certainly not an expert yet, but I'm trying to learn as much as I can and 
Now, you mentioned something I thought was very interesting at the front end of our conversation, Kimberly, was that you don't necessarily write to get out your feelings, but hearing you say that you have notebooks and notebooks that you wrote when you were, I guess, in middle school and high school, and it sounds like you have something to say, or it's a avenue that you use to to move your feelings. Yes, I guess that's true. I did write a lot of love poems in high school. <laughs> Most of them were about my feelings when I wrote poems when I was younger. So that does make sense. I think it depends on what I'm writing about. Sometimes if I write, like I said, I have some health issues. I have, I was born with heart disease, so I've had a bunch of surgeries and it's complicated, but I have a hard, pretty hard time writing about that. And I recently was thinking and I spoke to my therapist and I made a decision that I'm not going to write about that regularly Mm -hmm. because I don't think it's the healthiest thing for me. I think rather than being therapeutic, it just brings me down a bad path and brings me down Mm -hmm. is a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. So So in that sense, I don't know why it is, but that topic, it doesn't really help much to write about it. But then, as I said, the 9-11 pieces, they did feel therapeutic, and I did just let them Flow. pour out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it depends. And then some stuff that I write is not emotional at all, and it's fun. I like I published at least one piece about you know pop culture and kitchen gadgets, and it's not all deep and mm-hmm. emotional. So I really think it just depends. I think it depends on the topic, and I think it depends on where the topic is coming from because it's also hard because when you're a writer you have to try to get published so a lot of times you're trying to write something that you know will get published so you're it's not necessarily always something that's definitely coming from within you if that makes sense it's sometimes you're writing things that not that you're not being genuine but that you're it's not like you were called to write this piece from inside you and that's where it came from. It's more that you have an idea and you write it and you're genuine when you write it, but it's not the same as, Oh, this thought is nagging in my head. I'm going to write it out and see how I feel. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And now that we're talking about it, I'm realizing that there have been other times in my life where writing something does make me feel better. Even if it's something, if I'm, if I even if I write out a text to someone about something that's bothering me, sometimes even if it's if I don't send it, it still felt better, made me feel better just to write it out. So I, there is definitely a therapeutic part of it. Well, that's 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 good to hear. That's interesting to hear because I I always wondered about those kinds of things, and especially with these two pieces. And you wouldn't expect a writer. Uh, like yourself, to be able to throw these particular kinds of pieces out all the time because you're writing about other kinds of things. And they may be personal, they may be non-personal or impersonal, and they may just be uh, factual kinds of things. Exactly. Now, one one last question, uh, and I'm going to pose it to you this way, is you have a, a large audience who will be listening to you and who are listening to you, either through your articles or through your contacts on a day-to-day basis through the radio waves. What do you tell people about 
for me, I'm not a political person. I know there are a lot of people, even family members who lost people who would have something more politically driven to say about it. Mm -hmm. For me, it's just more emotional that I just feel the day is, is sacred and it should be treated that way. And I can't help but be bothered when it isn't and when people seem to treat it as though it's any other day and it's not a regular day. And what went on was horrific and devastating to thousands of people and so many people that should be considered heroes who didn't just die but saved lives before they did there were first responders obviously we all know that who went and who died trying to save others and then there were regular people who just saved people in the building tried to save them in the building and failed stories that came out and I just feel that my father and those people, who knows? I don't know what my father did inside the building. I have no idea if he saved someone. If someone saved him, tried to save him, all of those people should be remembered and all of them should be honored. And it shouldn't be a typical any other Saturday in September. It's no big deal. It's sacred. And I think it should be remembered. And I think it should be honored. Kimberly Rex, thank you very much for coming on St. Louis in Tune, talking about your articles and your personal experience, and I appreciate your candor and your honesty. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me here. I, I'm grateful. I want to thank Kimberly Rex for her time, her honesty, her candor, and her heart. She really opened up about the struggles that she has personally due to the loss of her father at 9-11 and the continuing struggles I thought was a very interesting point that she made that pops up periodically based upon relatives or other individuals who have been impacted by the events that happened on 9-11. I hope that this particular broadcast brings that remembrance home in a personal way to each one of you, that it's not some holiday. I thought Kimberly's point about remembering this particular event each and every year and holding it in a sacred way was very important. We want to honor her father and all of the others who perished on 9-11, either at the Twin Towers or at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., or in Pennsylvania. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoy this episode, please consider letting us know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcast. You could even write a review. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.